We left off uh, looking at the fact that uh, the current state of it's working. Okay. Uh, the current state of mankind, uh, and we moved on from the origin of mankind, and so uh, it all keeps going back to Adam, and you guys might think a little of this is redundant, but it's you can't get away from it, right? When you look at where we came from, when you look at where we are now and the things that we inherited as a result of Adam, it goes back to him. Now, the transition that we're going to make in this part of Scripture is that we get to talk about uh, the second Adam, as it were. Christ and his undoing of the work of Adam. And so that's the, the good news for us. But for those unbelievers, they're still in that state. They have these birth defects that we're going to talk about here that they need uh, corrected. And so we'll, we'll look at that today. But we looked at uh, last week the fact that we're born into Adamic sin. Uh, and as a result of that, we are all born with a sin nature. Uh, and the inheritance of this in nature uh, is seen in visual visual representation early uh, through Adam and Eve and then uh, passed on to their children and Cain and Abel and so forth. But we see these birth defects of mankind that occur. And so different parts of, of the nature of man show up in different ways. And so first we want to look at the natural man. And so... Uh, this uh, uh, nature of man to do that which is wrong. But we see it prevalent over in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14. And we want to look at this natural, sukikos, is coming from, uh, in my definition of it, one drawing motivation for daily activities of life from the soul. And so as you look out there to unsaved people, most of what motivates them is what makes them feel good, right? Sometimes they can balance it out with a little bit of logic, but ultimately people are going to push to what makes them feel good. They're not going to push to what makes them feel bad. Even when people are doing things that are harmful to themselves, they're doing it because it makes them feel good, right? You look at your drug addicts. They can totally destroy their life and everyone around them. Why? Because it makes them feel good to get high, right? This uh, grandma that we were talking about at the beginning makes her feel good to give all of these people these terrible drugs that are destroying their lives. Why? Because she gets money from it and she's uh, getting a good feeling from that money. But uh, let's look at this uh, over in First Corinthians chapter two and verse 14. And we'll read there uh, and then open up in a word of prayer uh, just at 14. And then we'll go back into the context. It says there, but the natural man receives not the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them because they are spiritually discerned. Uh, it's interesting when uh, believers try to go and tell unsaved people about the Bible. Right. And they're going to all these other verses other than the gospel, which is what they really need to hear. Well, what, what did this just tell us here? <laughs> is this word not the word of God? Is this word not spiritually understood? Is this word not even understood by us when we're carnal? We can't even understand it, right? What does Paul say over in, well, the author of Hebrews say over in <laughs> Hebrews chapter 5? He says he couldn't reveal what he would have wanted to reveal to them because of their spiritual condition at that time. And these are believers, right? How much more can you take this? You might as well just be like on peanuts. I remember when I was younger and we were watching the teachers up there writing on the board and womp, 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 womp. <laughs> and I related to that very well because my teachers were very much like that in school, too. Uh, but you, you see this. It's like speaking a foreign language to someone. This stuff doesn't make sense to anybody if they don't have the spirit to interpret it for them. So let's get into that a little bit more deeply. But we'll open up in a word of prayer uh, and get started. Father, we're uh, grateful for this day, uh, grateful for the opportunity uh, to get back into your word again, uh, grateful uh, that you've given us so much by grace uh, that we're able to take advantage of uh, in the present tense. And even where we fall short, uh, you, you have provided so much for us through the promises that you've made in your word uh, that helps us to, to get to where you want us to be. And so we're grateful for that. Now, grateful for this study and, and to just be able to look at man on a holistic uh, plane and from your understanding, not in men's musings about what they think we are or where we, they think we came from, 
but we can understand it on the one that created us all, and we're grateful for that. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. All right, and so the natural man, as we see in this context, is unwelcoming concerning the things or, or, or unwelcoming to the things discerned by the human spirit. So let's go back a little bit into this context just to fill it out a, a bit. But we see here that the uh, spirit beings dictated actions of men uh, to go ahead and do what they did in crucifying the Lord. And why was that? Because I think, and this is just my opinion, it goes all the way back, right? We looked at the very start and some of those punishments that were given there uh, to Adam and Eve. And specifically, when you look at the serpent, what did he say? He said, the seed of the woman will uh, crush the head of the, the serpent. And this is all throughout time. He's trying to undo this, right? He's trying to make sure that this doesn't happen. Uh, you go over to Revelation and it, and it says the dragon was ready to swallow up the, the uh, child of the woman whenever he was ready to be delivered. And so this this is happening over the course of time. So in verse eight, it says, oh, go back to verse seven. It says, but we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this age knew for had they known it they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So if they knew that by their actions, salvation would be provided to so many more people, they wouldn't have done it. <laughs> but it's like a game of, of chess, right? God is three moves ahead of where they are in their thinking, and he, he accomplished his uh, will even in spite of what they were doing. In verse 9 it says, But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor hath ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of men the things which God hath prepared for the ones loving him. But God hath revealed them unto us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of a man, which is in him? Even so, the things of God, or out from God, knoweth no man but the spirit of God. Now we speak, or we have not received the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is out from God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us from God. And so as you look at these spiritual things that we can relate to, the Holy Spirit is the one that opens our eyes to be able to see them. And we're going to look at a little bit later here, the fact that we've been saved in the realm of our spirit and it provides us that opportunity to understand. But in contrast, that natural man, that one that we had prior to salvation and we were living in, he doesn't receive these things and he can't even know them, even if he wanted to receive them. Why? Because they're spiritually discerned. Uh, and we see that here. Pick it up in verse uh, 13. It says, which things also we speak, not in words uh, which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. And so what is the Holy Spirit doing? Uh, if we're up here teaching you guys. Uh, all we are is conduits, right? We're a tool for God to use to present his word. And as much as we're lining up with this word, the Holy Spirit can take these things of God's word and make them real to your minds because you've been regenerated in the realm of your spirit, right? And now your spirit can take these things that it knows and apply it to action and kind of overrule that emotional side of you where your soul wants to say, oh, I just want to do what feels good, right? And you have this uh, kind of constant battle at play. We won't go too, too deeply into that one. Um, but this unwelcoming, uh, speaking of the natural man being unwelcoming, why can't I say that today, to the things discerned by this uh, human spirit, uh, being unsaved uh, has an un regenerate spirit and so unbelievers have an unregenerate spirit and they prefer things that appeal to the senses and so what tastes good what smells good what feels good to the touch all of these things appeal to the natural man right and so you wonder <laughs> we look at people i was watching some of these documentaries on john Gotti the other night and how he rose to power and had to kill off the, the mafia head in order to get into that position. And you wonder how these people just become so comfortable with just killing people. Why? Because, hey, the ends uh, is, is, is worth the means, right? And what he's going to get from doing that 
uh, is going to make him feel good. <laughs> Money, power, respect, and everything that he gets from it uh, is is it goes into that. And so, completely operating out of what makes you feel good, and that's what that natural man does. Um, and that's where unbelievers are. Uh, the value of spiritual things in this context, we see that they're foolishness to the uh, natural man. And so this word for foolishness is an interesting one. It comes from our word Maria. And it means here in my definition, lacking the value of one's time or pursuit when weighed against other priorities. Now, does that sound familiar? If you were to go out and talk to a lot of these people in the unsaved world and they look at you and the time that you're spending here right now and they say, well, what are you doing? Right. There are much more things you could be doing that make you feel good than sitting around in a church listening to the Bible or listening to what they would say is someone's opinion of stuff that was written by men a long time ago. Right. Well, that's what they choose to do because they're operating out of the natural man. And we see that. Uh, and then the inability to experience spiritual things uh, because they are spiritually uh, discernible. And so why can they not understand this? It seems very clear. If you read the gospel, uh, it's very clear. I always wondered that when I first came to a true understanding of what the gospel really was that you need to believe. And I said, boy, this is just so simple, <laughs> right? Anybody should be able to read this and be saved. Why is the whole world saved? Well, I quickly came to an understanding that most people aren't going to receive the things that are in Scripture, right? Even the ones that want to, even the ones that want to account that Jesus was a good man and a good example to follow, they don't want to really live by what's in God's word because they haven't been changed in the way that you and I have uh, to be able to experience that for themselves. And so part of this is our next uh, one on our list of birth defects, the flesh. And so what is the flesh? We talk about the sin nature. We talk about the natural man. We talk about all of these things that you're, you have going on. But I want you to know they're not all one in the same. Right. <laughs> People make the flesh to be the same as the sin nature. Well, I'm going to break it down for you just a little bit here. As you look at the flesh, I would say that it's the intersection of the body and soul and manifestation of the sin nature. And so that sin nature needs a, a body to manifest itself through. Right. And that's where it's happening uh, with reference to your flesh. You see that the mind reads des uh, desires from the sin nature that are entertained by the soul, which interprets desires, which would satisfy the body through senses. And so what do we talk about there? What touch uh, what what feels good, what tastes good, <laughs> what uh, looks good. And the pastor has said oftentimes in the past, he's never seen a man that goes after an ugly woman and says, boy, I've got to have that ugly woman. It's just <laughs> the top of the things that I want. Or someone that looks at a car and says, I want the worst car on the block. No, it's those things that appeal to the eyes. Now, beauty is indeed in the eye of the beholder, and some might say that this person looks good, whereas others might not think so, but it looks good to that person, and that's all that matters, right? And so you see this here. Uh, we see uh, some examples of this working in Scripture. Uh, go with me over to 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 11, and we see here that Peter warns of the campaign desires from the flesh that mount against the soul. And so there's a a battle going on here. Now, early here, he contrasts um, this uh, house or, or what we're building, build it up to be uh, with what was rejected by Israel. And so pick it up in verse five. He says there. You also, as living stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. Wherefore, also, it is contained in the scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a chief cornerstone, elect, precious, and he that believeth on him shall not be confounded unto you, therefore, which uh, believe he is precious. But unto them which were disobedient or which be disobedient, 
the stone which the builders disallowed, the same is made the head of the corner, and the stone of stumbling, and a rock of offense, even to them which stumbled at the word, uh, being disobedient, whereunto also they were appointed. But you, in contrast, are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, an holy nation, a peculiar people. Now, just as an aside, I go off on these things that pop in my head, but as you go back to Exodus chapter 19 and remember that this is what was promised to Israel. God said, after bringing them out of Egypt, I will make you a chosen nation, a royal priesthood, a holy set apart people. And guess what? They chose to do everything on their own, right? And so you and I should be grateful of all things that we've been given the opportunity to have what they were offered in the first place uh, here. And it's almost the same exact verbiage uh, that you should show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light, which in times past were not a people, but now are a people of God, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts. See, there are no lusts pertaining to the flesh, which war against your soul. And so your, your campaign or your lust to, uh, where the sin nature is trying to make its assault is not against your spirit. It's against your soul. <laughs> it doesn't appeal to you logically to say, boy, it only makes sense to go and kill this person, <laughs> Right. No, it appeals to your sense of feeling good and your need uh, to do this thing that your your soul is asking you to do. Uh, verse 12, having your conversation honest among the Gentiles that whereby or whereas they speak against you as evildoers, they may be uh, they may buy your good works, uh, which they shall behold, glorify God in the day of visitation. And so you he see here. Um, uh, this battle between the uh, uh, soul and the flesh or, or your sin nature and, and the uh, soul is where it makes this assault. Also, over in Galatians chapter five and verse 19, we see the works of the flesh and the uh, desire to satisfy those things uh, are between your body and your soul. So Galatians chapter five and verse 19 I can't come back here without going a little bit back into the context. And, you know, um, and Brother Rick is not here this evening, but he had a question concerning this exact uh, uh, book and a lot of what was going on here. And you see this uh, desire that the Galatians had to live according to the law and what it was causing them. In verse 11, he says, and I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? This is the offense or then as the offense of the cross ceased, I would they were even cut off, which troubled you for brethren, you have been called unto liberty. Only use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another for all the law is fulfilled in one word. Even this thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if you bite and devour one another, take heed that you be not consumed one of another. This I say, walk by the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. And so what is he saying here? Is he saying uh, this is what you need to do? Is he making this into a new law that you need to walk by the spirit? No, he's saying if you find in your life that the way that you're living doesn't align with you walking by the spirit, then it's time to do some self-reflection. Right? Take some uh, personal stock, as they say, and say, where am I at? Right. And be real with yourself and redirect your mind to where it needs to be. None of these things that are said, I believe, in the New Testament, even if they're in the imperative tone, means that you do this or else. No, he's telling you, you do this for your own good. Right. Take personal stock in where you're at and see if you're walking by the spirit. And then, then he gives you a little bit of a uh, uh, this contrast and battle that's going on between your flesh and uh, in your spirit. Verse uh, 17, it says, for the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. 
and these are contrary one to another so that you cannot do the things that you would or that you desire. I said it, uh, I think, on Sunday when we were going through here. But you can mark Romans chapter 7 right here as a perfect illustration of what he's talking about, right? Paul wanted and desired to do what was right, but he was trying to accomplish it by law. And what happened? He kept failing over and over and over and over again. And so the law just shows you that you will continually come up short, right? And it's not for a believer to say, hey, boy, it's time to beat myself down. Uh, I'm a terrible person. I can't do this. Well, yes, that's the truth. You can't do it. (laughs) But God has already done it through his son, Jesus Christ. And so it's time for you to stop trying to do it on your own. Verse 18, but if you be led by the spirit, you're not under law. Not, uh, now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. And so why do you think he's going through this list, which could go on forever? <laughs> he could have kept going. He says such like because it's not, 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 not anything that's like this is from this in nature. He's giving you an example so that you can look and say, hey, are these things apparent in my life? If they are, self-reflection time. Let's realign and get back to where we need to be in our uh, position in Christ. Uh, But here, again, you see the flesh and its attack on on the soul. Uh, We also see over in uh, Colossians chapter 2 and verse 18 that the flesh can interpret uh, thought processes of the mind. Colossians chapter 2 and verse 18. And I like to go back in some of these contexts because he, he gives contrast before he goes into to saying these things. And uh, here he gives Facts concerning what we have in Christ. Right. And so uh, pick it up in verse 11. He says, in whom looking positionally there also you are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in the putting off of the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. And so here those those body of sins pertaining to the flesh have been put off when we're living in our position in Christ. But when we go back into that old man or your old refrigerator, your old car, whatever you want to call it, um, you can put these works back on. So in Christ, here's what's apparent of you in verse 12. He says, you are co-buried with him by baptism, wherein also you are co-risen with him through the faith of the operation of God, who hath raised him up out from the dead or out from dead ones. And you being dead in your sins and uncircumcision of your flesh, Hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. And so here the performance of works and legal works was already accomplished or accounted for by the work of Christ. And so he's, he's spelling that out here. Verse 15, and having spoiled principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it. Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of holy day or of of new moon or of Sabbath days, which are shadows of the things to come. But the body is of Christ. Let no man beguile you of your reward involuntary humility and worshiping of angels and intruding into those things which you have not seen vainly puffed up by your fleshly mind or your mind pertaining to the flesh. You see how the the flesh can have an impact on the mind overall there. Uh, And so people who will entertain these different things and what was happening with the Colossians is in the absence of knowing all things, they started going in with what some of these other people were saying, where they're just filling in the blanks with a lot of spirituality type stuff. Right. Uh, Oh, you need to observe this certain day or do this certain thing at this time. And it was just a backdoor way into legalism again. And so what does he say? Christ's work has already accounted for all of that. 
you need to put your faith in Christ, right? And so uh, here we see this with them, but vainly puffed up by your fleshly mind. Your, your uh, mind pertaining to the flesh can have an impact on the way that you're living uh, in that way. Then we referenced it before, but go with me over to Romans chapter 7 and verse 18, and we see the Apostle Paul recognize the lack of any good coming from the flesh. Romans chapter 7 and verse 18. We'll pick it up at uh, verse 11. He says there, uh, for sin, uh, taking occasion by the commandment, deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore, uh, the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and are good. See, there's nothing bad about the law. <laughs> the law telling you don't kill, it's not a bad thing, right? It's the uh, a man that makes the law bad because of our, our sin nature. Verse 13, he says, Was then that which is good made death unto me, may it never come to be. But sin, that it might appear sin, worketh death in me uh, by that which is good, that sin through the commandment might become exceeding sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal, sold under sin. For that which I do, I allow not for what I would or what I desire that I do not do, but what I hate that I do. If then I do that which I desire not, I consent unto the law that it is good. Now then it is no more, uh, no more I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. Uh, we're on the way over here and uh, Brother Dave went uh, side by side with me, right? And he's he's insinuating that I was going in excess of the speed limit, right? <laughs> and so there is nothing wrong with that speed limit that's 80 well, or 70. <laughs> in my mind, it probably should be a little higher, but that's what's been agreed upon, right? And so what makes someone want to go in excess of that speed limit? I'll let you guys ponder that. <laughs> we'll move on. Verse 18, it says, For I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. For to will is present with me, but how to perform that which is good, I find not. You see, there is no way for us in and of ourselves to perform that which is good. You might do it for a time, right? You might do this thing or that thing, but eventually your sin nature is going to win out. And you see it with people that are in these churches for years and years, and they're doing all these good things, and then you find these horrible <laughs> things that they've been doing behind the scenes. Well, uh, this sin nature gets riled up uh, by, by such things. And so in verse 19, it says, For uh, that which is, for that uh, I would or what I desire, I do not, uh, but the evil which I would not, that I do. Now, if I do that which I would not, it is no more I that do it, but the sin, uh, really here you could say the sin nature that dwelleth in me. I find then a law that when I would or desire to do good, evil is present with me. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man but I see another law in my members warring against the law in my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. And so what conclusion does he come to? Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this body of death? Grace, really there. No, no, I thank God in the original text. It says grace through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. And so you see here, you're operating out of that flesh. And if we're looking at unsaved people, where else do they have to operate? Right. They don't have a regenerate spirit to be able to counteract this uh, uh, flesh that's going on or the desires of the flesh. And so we see that. Uh, next point we want to look at is that unregenerate man uh, is a slave to his desires. And we could go back even one chapter here. I didn't cite it. But even looking at believers, when we're acting out of that old nature, we're going to be a slave to this in nature. Right. If you do sin, you go back and put yourself under that 
that control of the sin nature, then you are a slave to your sin nature. Christ has set us free uh, from it. Thank God. If you go back earlier in the chapter, but pick it up in verse 11. It says there, likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body that you should obey uh, it and the lust thereof. Now, it's interesting to me, these people that say that believers can't sin. And you see so many uh, uh, warnings that are given against this right here in verse 12. Let not sin or the sin nature reign within your mortal body. Is he not talking to believers here of, of Rome? I don't know. Uh, Verse 13, it says, neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those that are alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. What then shall we uh, shall we sin? Uh, Because we are not under law, but under grace. May it never come to be. Know ye not that to whom you yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants you are to whom you obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. And so we could continue on there, but suffice it to say, if we're operating under that sin nature, uh, it's going to have dominion over us. And we know the unsaved man has no choice. Right. But to operate in this way. Uh, And so that's one of the birth defects that we speak of. Next, we want to separate out the sin nature. And so as we look at the sin nature, it is the inherent propensity to evil, which exists in every human being's nature. This is from Dr. H. Laverne Schaefer in his book, uh, Maturing in Christ. We saw over in, well, we didn't see because we didn't go back that far, but if we would have went over to Romans chapter seven, we can do it uh, just one page over. But we see uh, the desire of the sin nature against the desires of man. And we we kind of uh, uh, see that play out over the course of the whole chapter. But uh, read just a couple verses here up to where we were. It says in verse 1, Know ye not, brethren, for I speak to them that know the law, how that the law hath dominion over a man as long as he liveth. For the woman... Which hath a husband is bound by law to her husband so long as he liveth. But if the husband uh, be dead, she is loose from the law of her husband. So then if while, uh, while her husband liveth, she be married to another uh, man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband be dead, she is free from the law so that she is no, no adulteress, though she be married to another. Wherefore, my brethren, you are also... Uh, become dead to the law by the body of Christ, that you should be married to another, even to him who was raised from the dead, that we should uh, bring forth fruit unto God. And so you see here this deliverance of us from our servitude to sin, right? And our ability now to serve uh, Christ as a result of of um, uh, his death, burial, and resurrection cited there. And we can go through the whole whole chapter, but we looked at uh, that before. And then over in, uh, back in Romans uh, 6, 12, we won't go there, but you see the ability uh, to dominate uh, over the individual. Uh, and is it going to be sin that's having dominion over you, or are you going to submit yourself to Christ? Now, blindness is another thing that's a birth defect for people. Uh, now, it's in varying uh, levels. We saw spiritual blindness uh, back in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 15 uh, with the natural man. Uh, but let's look at satanic blindness. And this is a very interesting one over in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And it's very Interesting, uh, always to me, as the pastor is going through this series, uh, speaking about glory, it's interesting that this follows right after what you see about the believer uh, being uh, transformed into the image of God from glory to glory, right? And I think uh, it's because you have the opportunity, as people are seeing this on the outside, that other people might be able to see it and and want to Uh, experience and know what that is. But then you have to realize you have Satan here who's able to slip in the blinder 
right before they're able to hear the gospel. Now, I've uh, told you guys before here, uh, I've never seen it really up close and personal. I know I've given the gospel to people and they just kind of spaced on me, but <laughs> I've never seen as good of an example as, as Pastor Dave was talking about when he was talking about this guy. And here you have a, a, a really wild guy that for some reason just gravitates to Pastor Dave. So he's always talking about him. And he said in one of his his uh, just fits, he came to his house one night and sat across from his table and he'd been through a rough night and he gave him the gospel. And it seemed like he was actually tracking and he was going to going to hear it this time. But when he said raised from the dead, <laughs> he said it's like he went comatose, like he was talking to a, uh, a, a, a zombie or something. And so you see this happen. Uh, But pick it up in verse one. It says, therefore, seeing we have this ministry as we have received mercy, we faint not. But we have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. You see. It's interesting to me that everybody, all of these churches, and I'm not going to call out any in particular, but they they think they've got to come up with some uh, cool new way or cutting edge way to get the gospel out to people. Right. He says we we don't have to be dishonest with the word of God. We just deliver it. Right. And if people are blinded to the gospel, he's going to tell you why here in verse four. In whom the God of this age hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is in the image of God, should shine unto them. You see, the impediment here is Satan, right? He comes in and he slips in and he blocks them from receiving what they need to receive to to believe. So you guys can get frustrated, right? You maybe talked to somebody for many years and wanted them to be saved and they seem like they're listening and then all of a sudden it just goes south, right? Well, just know <laughs> Satan and his emissaries sometimes slip in there and, and block that message from being received. Now, this word for blindness comes from our word tuflao, which means being uh, physically or spiritually without the ability to see. And so where does this happen? It happens in the mind or, or the noema. And this is the part of the mind which conclusions are drawn from uh, and the information is processed. And so right where they're receiving that information, they might have heard it. Right. It comes in through their ear gate. It might come through their mind. But where it gets to that place where they're about to process that deci- decision, Satan, poop. <laughs> he blinds them. And I don't know. What it is that he does, I don't know if he just makes them think of something else. You know, oh, wouldn't wouldn't it be nice to go out and uh, go on a trip this weekend or something, right? But he does it every single time. Uh, not to everybody, but uh, or nobody would be saved. But we see the ones that are uh, blinded. This happens to, and the blinded person is unable to see the evident truth concerning God due to the blinding of Satan. And so you see here. Uh, that it is very obvious through a believer who is living the life correctly that, hey, God is doing something through this person. And if we're living this life and being proper conduits for Christ, his light is shining brightly through us. And it's manifested in the representation of glory. And it's undeniable, right? But it can be denied by someone that's blinded. And we see that here. Then we'll want to look at uh, judicial blindness. Now, this is one that is uh, specific to uh, a Jewish person that is being given the gospel. But go with me over to Romans chapter 11 and verse 25. And kind of one that has happened to Israel on the whole. Now, this doesn't mean that a a Jew cannot be saved. And Paul deals with that early in the chapter. Right. And so if you went all the way back to chapter nine, between chapters nine and eleven, he deals with this affinity that he has for his people, Israel. Right. And this desire that he has to see them get saved. But yet he understands that there is something going on to where 
all of Israel is not going to be saved right now. There might be some that come out from Israel, and when they do, uh, Galatians, uh, we see over in Galatians that they lose that distinctiveness. But here he's going to let us in on a mystery as to what has happened uh, to the whole nation of Israel. Pick it up in verse 22. He says, Behold, therefore, the goodness and severity of God on them which fell severity, but toward thee goodness, if thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou uh, also shall be cut off. And they also, if they abide not still in unbelief, shall be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if thou wert cut off, or, or cut out of the olive tree, which is wound by nature, and were grafted contrary, contrary to nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted uh, into the own, their own olive tree? For I would not, uh, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles be come in. And so what are we beneficiaries of? We're beneficiaries <coughs> of Israel's collective blindness, right? Because they rejected Christ and they allowed for this opportunity for Christ to go out to the Gentiles, we have been able to be saved, right? And, and when the fullness of the Gentiles come in, <coughs> according to election, then God is going to pick up his dealing with Israel as a nation once again. In verse 26, it says, and so all Israel shall be saved as it is written, there shall come out of Zion a deliverer, or the deliverer, and shall turn away ungodliness from Jacob. And so you see this uh, a little bit different with Israel. And this word for blindness, or this translated blindness here, is really the word for hardness. It comes from our Greek word perosis, which means to lack the ability to feel through the repeated damage and scarring. And so you've had uh, wounds or things that have happened to you, <coughs> excuse me, in a certain area. And they say what happens there? Scar tissue builds up and it's hard. You don't you don't feel there like you used to. Uh, I remember a certain incident. One of uh, the three of us uh, might have cut one of the other brother's hand and he had a, a large cut on his finger. Uh, what, what, if I say it that way, does it sound like it's me? Um, <laughs> so he had this large cut on his finger, and to this day, his finger is a little numb in that area, right? So he can't feel there like he used to. And it's very similar to the word that's used here, right? They're not able to, to feel. They have scar tissue that's been built up, and I think it's surrounding the law and their zealousness for the law. Right. They want things and have wanted things done in a certain way for a long, long time. Right. And that zealousness caused them to reject the very one that they've been waiting on. And now uh, they, God has kind of left them in that state as they wait for things to be carried out like they were supposed to. And so I say this is pertaining to their zealousness for the law and its effect on their ability to believe the truth. Uh, and we see this here. Now, uh, another issue that comes out of our birth into Adam uh, is the uh, need for salvation or us being born with the need for salvation. And so we see this is evident in the requirement of a new birth. And so go with me over to John chapter three. And it's very interesting, the conversation here that Nicodemus has with the Lord. And it's almost... <laughs> You ever seen someone talking astrophysics with someone that doesn't <laughs> have much knowledge? And this is what I think of in this interaction here. Uh, the Lord is talking on a whole nother plane of understanding than where Nicodemus is. And Nicodemus is supposed to be the teacher of Israel. And he has no knowledge concerning spiritual things. And the Lord really uh, calls him out in the way on it here. We pick it up in verse one. It says there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do the miracles that, you do, that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, 
he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, I, I like the way that the Lord asks questions that aren't in line with the, the statement that someone's made before, right? Because it already gets them <laughs> thinking. And someone, someone said one time, the best way to judge where people are coming from is not to make statements. And this is one I've tr- tried to teach myself over time. It's a hard one. You ask questions, right? And you can really see where people are coming from when you ask questions. And the Lord does this here. Verse four, it says, Nicodemus saith unto him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered. And so here you see the contrast of where his mind is. It's on earthly and physical things. And the Lord is speaking to him concerning spiritual things. He has no idea. Verse five, Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh. And that which is born of spirit or of the spirit is spirit. Marvel not that I said unto thee, you must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest this uh, sound thereof and canst uh, or cannot tell uh, from whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So every one that is born out from the spirit. Nicodemus answered and said unto him, how can these things be? And Jesus answered and said unto him, art thou not a master? It's very important where they leave these definite articles out sometimes. Uh, and I, I was watching that chosen show. They even got it right on that show. He didn't say, art thou a master or a teacher? He said, art thou the teacher of Israel? You're the highest teacher in Israel and you don't even know these things. And this is <laughs> uh, amazing or astonishing to him here. Um, verse 11, he says, uh, verily, verily, un- I say unto you, we speaketh what, uh, that we do know and testify what we have seen. And you receive not our witnesses or witness. If I had told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? And no man hath ascended up to heaven, uh, but he that came down out from heaven, even the son of man, which is in heaven. Uh, and so he goes on there to, to blow his mind even more. But here in the context, you see the need for a new birth in order to enter into the kingdom of God. Right. We cannot enter into the kingdom of God, which pertains to salvation without being born again. And the kingdom of God, uh, again, pertaining to salvation and then the distinction between the physical and spiritual birth. Right. You are physically born into this world. You are physically born into your Papa Adam. You are physically born into sin. Right. Physically and spiritually. Um, And Christ feels the need for that salvation. Now, we also see the election uh, from God uh, of Jacob over Esau displays the need for salvation. Now, uh, I've been very transparent before uh, that one of our one of my father's siblings had a a hard time with this verse. Right. For many, many years. Uh, How can one be chosen over another was what that young man came to say. Okay, it was me. <laughs> but you, you see this here, and, and it just from a human perspective, you want to say, boy, that is not right. right. How does God choose one over another? And you know how I came to a good conclusion with this? I really looked at myself for who I am, right? And I said to myself, how does God choose any of us, right? Not just me, not just you. Who is worthy on earth of being chosen? And if you look at it from that perspective, it becomes a thing of grace that God chose anybody. It's not why didn't he choose them over here? It's why didn't he throw the whole lot of us into condemnation? Uh, And if you think of it again from that perspective, it cleans it up. But here you see uh, if God chose one and didn't choose the other. Hey, there was a need here for salvation uh, that pertains to election. Really go back, and we talked about this before uh, with Paul here, and he illustrates it. Pick it up in verse 1. He says, I say the truth in Christ, I lie not, my conscience also bearing me witness in the Holy Spirit, that I have great heaviness and continual sorrow in my heart, for I could wish that myself were a curse 
from the Christ for my brethren, my kinsmen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertaineth the adoption and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the service of God and the promises, whose are the fathers and of whom concerning the flesh Christ came, who is over all God bless forever. Amen. Not as though the word of God had taken none effect for that uh, for they are not all Israel, which are out from Israel. And so what is he saying here? All of the ones that are Israelites that are Jewish, according to the flesh, are not spiritual Israel. Right. And you saw this a good example of this back in the Old Testament as they were going through the desert. Right. And you had this mixed multitude of people. Some that wanted to turn back and go back to Egypt and worship their gods, right? And some that wanted to actually do what was right. And sometimes you had a little bit of both with those that were uh, wanting to do what was right, too. In verse 7, he says, Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all born ones. And so that word for children there is born ones. But uh, in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, uh, they which are the born ones of the flesh, these are not the children of God or the born ones of God, but the born ones of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise. At this time will I come and Sarah shall have a son. And not only this, but when Rebekah also had conceived by one, even by our father Isaac, uh, and so you see here, this line follows in, in, in the first couple of people, the people that they would have chosen to have, have been elect. God didn't choose them. Right. And so what did Abraham say? What about Ishmael? <laughs> what about my son Ishmael? God didn't choose Ishmael. Right. What did Isaac say? What about what about my son Esau? He would have given everything he had to Esau and it was supposed to go to Jacob. And we're going to read that here in a second. Verse uh, 11, for the children being not yet born, neither having done uh, any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand not out from works, uh, but of him that calleth. It is. It was said unto her, the elder shall serve the younger, as it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. Now you see uh, another example there of where the woman was right and the man was wrong, right? <laughs> because Isaac wanted it badly to be Esau. Well, and I don't think it was <laughs> all, all, all through that. I think uh, uh, Rebecca had a little bit of favoritism going on there, but uh, you do see this. And so the need for salvation is shown in election. Why would God choose any if they didn't need to be chosen? Uh, and we see this here. Now, it's evident also through spirit baptism, but we will come back to that next week as we're running out of time. Uh, and so we'll look at spirit baptism a little bit more deep, deeply and then at the new creation. And then we'll move on uh, to our salvation out from the wrath of God. <laughs>